This morning we want to remind ourselves of last week that we need to abide in the vine and that is to remain, to be steadfast there and that that is not uh, a standalone command but it is a prerequisite to what God wants in your life, not only to abide in him, but to abide in him in order to bear fruit. And one without the other, first of all, bearing fruit is impossible without abiding in the vine. But abiding in the vine without bearing fruit is unprofitable to God. And so we're going to look at that a little bit and the necessity that not only abiding in the vine, some Believers have it in their mind that, that as long as they're tied into Jesus Christ and have this personal relationship with him, that that's all that really matters. But the fact is, is that we have a requisite upon us, a necessity to bear fruit. There should be a fruitfulness to the Christian life that extends beyond our personal experience and our personal circumstances and, and situation. And so let's jump back to Matthew 13. I referenced that last week, and I want to go back to the parable of the sower and the soils. And Matthew 13, verse, uh, and we're not going to really read the parable itself. I want to uh, head forward and to hear the parable explained by Jesus Christ. Uh, in his employment of the parables, he has many things in Scripture with his first introduction, there's an explanation. And so if you want to understand biblical typology and poetic language and prophetic symbols, uh, the technique you need to use to go to where it's introduced, find it there where it's introduced in the Bible, because generally speaking, uh, and like 95% of the time, it will be explained where it is introduced. And so here's the first of parables. Jesus is going to explain that. You're going to find him explaining very few after that. He's not going to really, because this is the standard, the pattern to explain the rest. And so the disciples say, you're speaking to us in parables. What's this all about? He explains this parable, the next one as well. And then we don't find the rest explained at all because you're supposed to use this as the as the guide for understanding all of them. So we have this wonderful explanation of the parable of the sower, the soil, and the seeds. And let's pick up in verse 18 of Matthew 13. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. That's the one we focused in on last week. Those that stumble and, and are dried up and, and burned. As soon as there's any persecution, a testing of their faith. Verse 22, now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And so we have this parable put forward, and we find these four categories of reception or non-reception of God's word. 
And we are focusing in this morning on that third category of those that receive the word in thorny soil. That is amongst the weeds. And they grew up together and they choke out the productivity of the plant. And so we find that uh, what, is the, what are the weeds that he's talking about? He identifies them for us. He describes them as the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. These are the two things that he says that even when you hear the word, receive it in your life, bear, bring forth this plant, this, this living thing, uh, we'll call it a Christian, this living thing, that it is unfruitful because of the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke something out in it. That is that there's a competition now between um, one thing and another. There's a competition between the deceitfulness of wealth and the cares of this world and the word of God. Notice that they are choking out not the Christian existence, but the word in the Christian's life. That now there is a decision, do I chase after the things of the world or do I chase after the things of the word? Word of God. Do I follow the deceitfulness of the wealth of riches or do I follow the truth of discipleship? Being a follower of Jesus Christ. There, very clearly there is a distinction here. And it is only those who will turn away and weed their lives that will be productive for Jesus Christ, that will be fruitful. There is an unfruitfulness in these Christians' lives. And we're going to address that here very quickly. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to read a lengthy passage there. We're going to get back to John because I want to apply these passages. So that's Matthew. This will be uh, Paul, of course, in the book of Ephesians. And uh, we can also go to several other passages, but we're going to pick up in Ephesians 5. And we're going to come back here. Um, I was going to read all of it, but I think I'll read all of it a little bit later. I'm going to jump ahead a bit. Let's jump ahead to verse 11, and then later on I'm going to read the entire text from 1 through 17, 21, somewhere in there. Let's read verse 11. It says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And this is a, a comparable theme with John. Uh, John likes the idea of light and darkness. He uses that extensively in his, in his writings, uh, particularly in 1 John 1 and 2. Uh, we find, but also throughout the scriptures, he says, I'm the light of the world. Um, and John usually says, he who walks in the light should not have fellowship with the dark. That he who says he walks in the light, but his actions are tied to the darkness, which is the things of this world, he's a liar. He's deceiving himself. The truth isn't in him. And so Paul calls the Ephesian Christians, he says, listen, you should have no fellowship, you should have no agreement, you should have no, no, no uh, communication with the things of darkness. Because you are children of the light. And notice that he says that the fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. 
And so the works of darkness, chasing after the cares of this world, chasing after the deceitfulness of wealth, uh, which just goes right through your fingers, and you die, and you leave it to people who don't appreciate it, and abuse it, and waste it. Um, but we have here a description that why chase after these things? They're unfruitful works. There's no long-term lasting benefit. And that's going to be a major theme in John 15. And so we find that this isn't just something John is concerned about. It goes into the teachings of Jesus Christ and derived from there that we have recorded for us in Matthew and in Mark. We have it here also for us in Ephesians and the epistles. We can go to other places also. We can even go into Revelation. It talks about the unfruitfulness of following after the world. That if we want to be fruitful believers, we have to make a distinction in our lives between the darkness of this world and the light of the one to, whom we, to which we are called, of which we belong, if we claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to come back to Ephesians 5, but let's, press fo- let's pre- go back to John 15. So you might want to keep a, in fact, I'm going to keep a tab there. We find here in the description of the vine and the branches uh, that the, Jesus is the true vine. That is the only one, the genuine one. There are other vines that you can be attached to, and that's the problem that he wants to get out of your life. He, the Father is the vine dresser, so we have someone who is overseeing this relationship. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. This is not a pruning. This is not a, a, this is complete dismissal. He just takes it away. Now, are we talking about losing salvation? Well, as you listen to different commentators, some will say, well, yes, this is a loss of salvation. Others will say, no, this is just people who weren't ever genuinely saved. Um, neither of those do I think is, is talking about here directly. Um, but because when we get to the parable of the sower, the description there is that you are simply an unfruitful Christian and it is not really described that you are burned up, taken, or destroyed, but that rather you are worth not having. In the, you're kind of an unproductive part of the garden. And so what does it mean to be taken away? And I think one of the best illustrations of that is what was happening in the church in Corinth. What was happening to them because they were unfruitful, because of their commitment, they were called the carnal church, because of their commitment to the things of this world, that they even were tolerating immorality in their midst that, such that the world doesn't even acknowledge as righteous, um, that they were tolerating all of this division, they were tolerating all of this. They were a church enveloped in darkness, even while they were supposed to be children of light. And Paul calls them out of it. And even in their partaking of the Lord's table, they were self-centered. They were eating without worrying about anyone else. Some people were, had feasts. Other people had little bread, stale bread and water. Um, they had no care for one another, no love for one another, no charity. And Paul takes them to task. In the midst of that, he tells them something. He says, this is the reason some of you are not well, and others of you have even been taken away. You have died. You've fallen asleep. Why have you here? Why have you? And God says, if you're going to be that ungodly, 
I'm just going to remove you from the earth. There's no reason to have you there. You're unproductive. And so they fall asleep. Paul does not say that they lose their salvation, but rather that God just says, if you're not going to produce fruit for me, there's no reason for you to have you there. You are actually doing a detriment to the name of Jesus Christ. You are doing injury to that, and I'm going to remove you. Now, um, is this true with the false believers? No. Because Jesus Christ says, I'm going to let the wheat and the tares grow up together. I'm going to harvest them, and then I'll separate them then. And so the false ones, have the, the sheep and the goats, the, the judgments, all those happen at the end. But when it comes to the Christian community, God is more concerned about taking measures as a vine dresser among them as they go. And so it is vitally important that we understand the necessity of abiding in Christ is to produce fruitfulness in your life. And that isn't just for yourself. Fruitfulness always has to go beyond you. We're going to talk a little bit about that here in a moment. Um, But this is what we have before us here in 15.2. Let's keep reading. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean. The word clean there in verse 3 is actually very uh, derived from the same word the word prunes is from, that he pruned you, that you clean because of the word which I have spoken. The word of God comes in and begins to prune our lives. What does it mean to not have the word of God choked off in your life by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth? It means that I am so attentive to the word of God that none of these things appeal to me compared to God's word being active in me. That is that I'm going to be subordinate to it. I'm going to be responsive to it. And so it says that what is it is the word I've spoken to you has already made you clean. You are clean because of the word. We studied this extensively when we used it earlier in, the, in, the, in John. But we want to revisit it here very quickly. That God prunes us through his word, that we may bear more fruit. If there is a lack of fruitfulness in your life, it is generally speaking because you are not being attentive to his word in your life. You are allowing other things to come in and either have equal or greater authority to it, or you are dismissing it in comparison to things of this world, the unfruitful works of darkness the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth. You are pursuing those things, and the end result is very clear. You're unfruitful. But when we have the Word of God in our life, and we be attentive to it, then it begins to prune us, clean us, to take out out of our lives those things that just aren't productive spiritually or to God's glory. Now, does that mean that we are going to have no attention at all to the matters of this world? No, there's ample scripture that talks about the handling of your finances in a biblical and godly way. Um, There's there's ample scripture to talk about your family life and about using uh, your uh, capacities to care for not only your family but 
to be generous as well and to, uh, uh, but this can't be the drive of your life. Drive of my life is not defined by those things. Those things are the necessities of life. The drive of my life is to bring glory to God in all that I do. And I want to do those things in accordance with the principles of God's word. Though they fly in the face of how I was raised, tradition, what my society expects out of me, uh, which is peer or social norms, uh, whether it flies in the face of, of even what my church teaches. I want to coordinate my life with God's word. And the word of God prunes us, cleanses us, so that we are more and more and more productive. This is what is talked about in Ephesians by redeeming the time. How do I redeem time? How do I get it back? By cutting off the things in life that just aren't productive. That aren't doing anything in you, and they aren't developing anything to God's glory for the benefit of the kingdom of God, either in ministry, uh, within his people, or sharing the gospel outside of his people. And that, that needs to be a goal of ours, that in our conversation, in our manner of living, in our family life, in our work, that that is our primary objective, is to exercise God's word to such a fashion that there is a fruitfulness in my life. That no matter where I go, um, eventually, if anyone spends any amount of time or conversation with me, shows any interest in me, or I, that, that they're going to know very quickly what defines me. And it's not my occupation. It's not my hobbies. Well, actually, it might be because my for me, I have it pretty easy because it's all correlated, but so should yours. It should all be correlated to your walk with God. Why do I do these things? Well, I do these things because the Bible says, if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. I function on that principle. The Bible says a man should work and care for his family and have enough to share. That's the definition of, of husband and father, of the man in the home. By definition. Uh, in terms of being a, a provider. Care for your own and have enough to share. That's, our, that's how hard we should work. And I do that because God's word declares it. It is all correlated with God's word, is that which is the abiding aspect. And so that is what brings forth fruit. Let's keep reading. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And remember, we have a prerequisite of abiding in Christ. We studied that last week. The necessity that we do that. We cannot do this. It's not by your own self-determination. This is by your complete dependency upon Jesus Christ, which is found by your time in his word and in his spirit. We haven't lost the necessity of the Holy Spirit in all this. And so he is the one that works his word in our lives and prunes us that we might be more productive. Now, I want you to see a progression here. Let me show a little progression. Um, verse 2. Uh, <clears throat> he wants us to bear fruit. Correct? If you bear fruit, that's good. If you don't bear fruit, you're taken away. By the end of the verse, he says, I want you to bear more fruit. You bear fruit, that's great. I want you to bear more fruit. 
Now let's go to verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And so we go from bearing fruit to bearing more fruit to bearing much fruit. Does that sound familiar? Remember we just read in Matthew 13 that some bring forth this amount, some bring forth this amount, some bring forth this amount. That there is bearing fruit, there is bearing more fruit, and there is bearing much fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixfold, some third. So we all have some place to go. There's a progression here that we can bear some fruit, and that's good, but God's going to get his word in there and kind of get, well, that one's not doing much. That's, that's kind of a, that's just sapping your fruitfulness in your life. I'm going to cut that out. Now, I do some gardening, and I know how to go in and prune tomatoes so I get tomatoes and not leaves. Um, I, I don't eat the leaves, so I don't want more leaves, so I prune my tomatoes pretty extensively. Um, and my family is like, you're possessed with trimming tomatoes because it might be hours. Well, when you grow 300 tomato plants, you, it takes a lot of time. You're just out there pruning for like an hour. You just got to plan on a couple hours a week of pruning tomatoes. That's all there is. Um, but uh, we, we understand that that's what we want. And God says, well, there's lots of things in your life that are flowery and look nice, makes it look like you're very much alive, but there isn't actually any fruit going on. You know, I could have this great big tomato plant with all this living structure to it, and, and you go, wow, you grew this great big plant, but I got three tomatoes off of it. Because the plant put all of its energy into leaves and stems and branches and trying to get back down to the soil to start more that way because they can grow that way instead of growing fruit to seeds. They can just get a, if they can lay over and they can grow roots right into the ground off their stem and then they don't have to worry about bearing fruit. And then they can grow another one, another one, another one. And what do they do? They're multiplying a bunch of stems and leaves that I, that I can't put on my tomato sauce. Oh, my spaghetti, sorry. I can't make tomato sauce out of those for my lasagna. So I go in there with a knife, and I start hacking. I mean, I hack. Scissors, knives, whatever I got handy. Toenail clippers. No, I don't use toenail clippers. That's silly. I got too many to deal with on that. And I'm cutting away all this. I want you to understand that what God is pruning out of your life might, to even me, look like something good. It's foliage. But it's not really spiritually productive. There's not really any fruitfulness in your life. You got all this foliage going on. Which makes it appears to me that you're, you're really alive, but you really you're not. Because there's no fruit. So what are we talking about when we talk about fruit? Well, let's go back to Ephesians 5, and let's read this all, because I don't want just foliage for Christ. I want to have fruit for Christ. And that means I want to go from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. I want to get to that point of abiding in Christ to such a degree, to abiding in his word, that he has permission to prune these things out of my life that might even look good to everyone else. And I say, oh, but they're not doing anything. They're not fruitful in my life. Ephesians 5, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. 
but fornication, all uncleanness, or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, we forget that, that idolatry is covetousness, and covetousness is idolatry, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And what do you know? The very next thing is talking about wives, husbands, and children, and workers. Bond servants, masters. We have here, by Paul's estimation, what fruitfulness really entails. The fruit of the Spirit. And we know, most of us, when we think of the fruit of the Spirit, say, well, we have the nine spiritual, the fruits, uh, fruit, the nine aspects of fruit described in Galatians chapter 5. Um, but I'm not sure that that is supposed to be an exhaustive list. I think it is like many of Paul's lists that are representative lists. Uh, and that goes for the uh, lists of the uh, spiritual gifts. He lists those off. Um, th th none of those lists are exhaustive, and therefore we compile them all, and we say, well, here's all the spiritual gifts. Well, they're not all the spiritual gifts. They are a compiling of non-exhaustive lists, which, which are representative lists, and so there are probably gifts beyond those lists. Just like he gives lists of sins, of the darkness, those are representative lists, they are not exhaustive lists. Correct? And he gives lists of righteousness that are not exhaustive, they are representative. And so there's much more to righteousness than just the things he lists. And, and there's more things to think about than the list there in, in Philippians 4, uh, uh, and you know, meditate on these things. These, Paul's lists are, are almost never exhaustive. Not, not always, uh, um, he, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says these three, and he, and he stipulates there are three things that uh, we should be pursuing there at the end of 1 Corinthians 13. But let's go here and see that the fruit of the Spirit here is not the nine things that we saw in Galatians 5, but it's boiled down to three categories of things here. He says the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
goodness, righteousness, and truth. We want to be pruned down so that we're producing fruitfulness to God. Well, there should be an aspect of righteousness that we are getting out of the dark and being in the light, that we are exposing the light, that we have more and more and more and more and more, not only of right living in our life, but right desire for the reason, that we're living rightly for the right reasons. We are trying to make that distinction on our Sunday night study in parenting and, and we've talked about the difference between your child adhering to rules or having a right heart that desires to please God by obeying their parents. And we want the latter, not the former. We don't want just adherence to rules for our convenience. Because in the end, that will lead to destruction and rebellion. Because as soon as they're not under those rules, they just have no internal desire after righteousness. And so we here are not legalists. We are not going to make you adhere to these rules. It is very evident here that I don't do that. Or you all would have very different appearances. Okay? Um, I can do that with my wife, but I can't do that with anyone else. You're going to have to choose to adhere to God's word or to ignore God's word, to let it dictate these things instead of norms of society dictate these things. And so we have here, uh, I am not the Holy Spirit. I am not here to do that. I simply call you to have a heart that desires to conform myself more and more to God's word, that I might have righteousness, not external righteousness, but an internal desire after righteousness. And that is so much preferred. Then as you encounter God's word, you say, I want to bring that to life. Why, am I, why haven't I been doing that? And I, and I would love for someone to come and say, Pastor, why didn't you tell me I should have been doing this? I said, well, I, I can only get to so much of the Bible in, in 40 minutes. You know, <laughs> once a week. We'll get there eventually. But in your reading, you could get through the Bible every week if you wanted to. If you're really committed, it'd take a lot of time. What is it, 46 hours to read the whole Bible cover to cover? Um, so something like that, it seems like. Um, if you make it a part-time job, you could do it in two weeks, every fortnight. That sounds ridiculous. I had pastors from places like China that were doing that. And it put us to shame, don't they? Their capacity to be enthralled by God's word because they wanted righteousness. But it also says in all goodness that there is a goodness that we should have toward one another. Now he gives a representation of that in your speech. He talks about how to be good with your speech and it says that you should not have foolish talking. You should not have coarse jesting. You shouldn't have filthiness. Um, you shouldn't even talk about some things that should not even be named among you. That we're not even talking about that. This isn't every, anything associated with us. That that kind of speech needs to be gone. Does that mean that I can't kid you a little bit? No, but I'm not going to do it coarsely. I'm not going to engage the wickedness of this world in application to it. And so uh, we want to emphasize goodness, that that is where the fruit of the Spirit is in, is in goodness. And I have a difficult time seeing how someone can say they're showing the fruit of goodness when the only thing they care about is their own spiritual growth and they're not engaged with a body of saints seeking to uh, be good towards others. 
That means they're talking to themselves and making sure they're not jesting themselves. It means that they're engaging just themselves. And it's, it is not a biblical model of fruitfulness. It is unfruitfulness because it's only selfishness. You're only self-interested. And so the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Of course, we know where, who is the truth, Jesus Christ. Are we communicating the truth to people? Well, we would communicate the truth in love. This is what Paul says, Thessalonians. Like, we're going to communicate the truth in love. You know the manner of living I had among you and how I didn't hesitate to share with you the gospel of Jesus Christ at whatever cost. Some places I got stoned for it. Some places I got run out of town for it. Um, some places I had to be snuck out of town for it. But I'm going to always speak the truth and I'm never going to do it in a negative or nasty or, uh, way. I'm going to do it in a loving way, seeking to draw you to salvation. But there cannot be a compromise of truth in the course of doing that. And we have too much compromise here and that is for selfish reasons alone. We don't like confronting people with their sin because it makes them mad. We don't want to tell them, well, that's sin. The Bible says so. God says so. And so, uh, and then they might call us names or spit at us or fire us or, or chase us or kill us. We're going to get to that, by the way, when we get a little bit farther along in John 15. So we're called to a fruitfulness uh, in the spirit of goodness, righteousness, and truth, four very clear categories. And so we're out there communicating. And so when we come to understand what does it mean to bear fruit in John 15, um, it is not only the fruit of the spirit in me, which cannot be present unless I have it in relationship. Um, it's not, I have the fruit of the spirit, love. Well, I love myself. Okay, well, that's not really the biblical love, is it? You cannot have the fruit of the Spirit of love without loving other people. Love those who persecute you, who despise you, despitefully use you, uh, that you love them enough to give them the truth of Jesus Christ. And so we are called to this kind of a walk with Jesus Christ. Um, and... That's the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, you cannot have goodness, you cannot have righteousness and, and truth outside of external fruit that should be there. And so some have tried to say, well, it's the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Others try to say, well, the fruitfulness is related to Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Are you making disciples, baptizing them and teaching them everything God has taught you? And they choose that as the fruitfulness. And certainly there should be a evidence that you are interested in the salvation of others. Um, and by the way, if you want to know my position, it's both. I don't see how you can divorce them. I don't know how you can have the fruit of the Spirit in your life and not intercede for people that are on their way to hell. I don't see how you can say you have one and have no evidence of the other. And so we have these this... Um, opportunity to share Christ and we are commanded this is our mandate is that we make disciples that we see that as they become followers of Jesus Christ that's what discipleship is that we then baptize them and that we teach them everything God has taught us this is our mandate should there be a fruitfulness there absolutely 
There should be a fruitfulness in your life. Does that mean you're going to have a list of people who have received Christ as your Savior, as their Savior, uh, under, through your testimony? No, not necessarily. What I want to see is a list of people you've shared Christ with. Not how many have received him, because I understand that one person sows, another person waters, and, but God gives the increase. So it's to God's glory if anyone comes to him and receives him. What is my responsibility is to make sure they have heard the gospel, perhaps heard it again, perhaps heard it for the 50th time, so they know the truth. That is my responsibility. That is fruitfulness. And we talked about this some weeks ago, that as we penetrate our prayer life with a desire to bear fruit, and we start praying like that, Lord, I want ministry. I want to, bear, I want to see fruitfulness in my life. I want to see, yes, the fruit of the Spirit in me and in my relationships, but I also want to see ministerial fruit. I want to see people growing in their knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that's what, if we went back to Ephesians, that we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's why he gave the church some apostles, some prophets, teachers, some pastor teachers, some evangelists. He gave all of these gifts to the church that we might grow. That is fruitfulness. But there also needs to be an evangelistic growth that even Timothy, who did not necessarily have the gift of evangelism, was told to do evangelism. Just do the work of evangelism. It's a lot of work. You have to engage in a conversation and then try to uh, consider how to turn that conversation into things of the Lord. And sometimes you're gonna, it's going to change your plans. <laughs> and you can do it. And for some reason, at Sandia Mountains, I'm having a lot of luck. I should be going up to the Sandia Crest about every day. Because every time I go up there, I end up having a conversation with somebody about the Lord. Okay? We went up there Friday night. That's probably why my, I know that's why my ears are plugged. Because when we came down off that mountain Friday night, I just, they just filled my ears because I had my sinuses just went right into my ears. And they're still there. So, you know, Mr. Roberts and I are having a little conversation, and because and you're crunching with snowshoes in the middle of the night, yes, we were snowshoeing the Sandia Crest at night because it was a full moon. It's a thing. There were hundreds of people up there. It's weird, bizarre, never thought of it, but we did it. So we're having a conversation about Esther because he's teaching, started Esther, and of course you got to almost yell to each other because you <laughs> So the guy in front of us is like, oh, you guys know something about the Old Testament? And... And so we got to meet John Brooks, and a new guy just moved into the area, and, and, uh, we had, and the rest of the time was conversation with him. And it's like every time I go up there, last time I went up there is when I met the, another family and, and end up having them come to my house. Um, so I'm just going to start hanging out at the crest. So if you ever want to find me, that's where I'll be, because apparently that's where you're closer to God, and everybody wants to talk about spiritual matters. <laughs> it's just weird. Um, oh, that we would turn our conversations that direction. Does, is it easy? No. But people want the truth. They really do. And it is so rare in our day to hear the truth, to hear people that are willing to speak the truth in love. There should be a fruitfulness of saying, here is a whole list of people who have heard the gospel. I know they heard the gospel because they heard it from my lips. And that is fruitfulness. That we then invite them to become disciples and followers of Jesus Christ and, and 
then bring them into the baptismal waters so they can make that public declaration of their commitment. And then we teach them everything so that they can conform themselves and abide in the vine and then bear fruit themselves. All this is not to our glory. It is to the glory of God the Father. It is all the glory to him. We abide in the vine and he is the vine. The vine dresser prunes us. He works us. But if we are unfruitful, why should he tolerate you? Let alone answer your prayers. Remember, this is really a study in prayer. Because all of this is prerequisite to ask whatever you will and it will be done unto you. And so if I'm going to Lord, ask him for my list of all my stuff I want, please, Lord, unclog my ears, please fix my truck, please do this, and I got my list of my praying, guess what? That is completely unfruitful. What kind of praying is that? Selfish? My does that mean I can't pray those prayers? Certainly, I cast all my cares upon him. Uh, this is yours, this is yours, this is yours, and he cares for me. That, there's no doubt about that. But it should not be the totality of my praying. My praying should be invested in fruitfulness. Lord, I want to bring glory to you in my life, whether by living or dying, that you might get the glory, by suffering or by comfort. <laughs> I don't know how you can do that, but um, Lord, that you get the glory. I want you to be glorified. And I know that men will hate me for that. And, and even those who call themselves by your name will turn from me, just as the Pharisees, Sadducees, and the, the priests turned away from Jesus Christ. We should expect that even religious people will say, I want nothing to do with you. Because you take this thing too seriously. You take this word too seriously. So we are to bear fruit, we are to bear more fruit, and we are to bear much fruit. But we're also supposed to bear lasting fruit. And this is our last point. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, pick up with me in verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to notice that he wants you to have the fruits of righteousness, again, by Jesus Christ, because you're abiding in the vine, you're the branch abiding in the vine, Jesus Christ, so... Fruits of righteousness, which are in Jesus Christ, so that's where your source of it is, not self-righteousness. It is the righteousness that I have gained and been accredited for, and I can uh, live in and walk in because of the knowledge of the truth, the Word of God being at work in me. But notice how long it goes, until the day of Christ. There should be a lastingness, a perseverance, an endurance here that it should continue. And we saw that also in, in, in uh, uh, Ephesians 5, Paul's right in there. But for John, it's described very clearly that you, the, your fruitfulness should abide, should remain. And so let's jump forward a little bit in John 15. 
Let's, let's just read from verse 9 and following. It says, the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that your joy may remain, there's that word remain, abide in you. And that your joy might be, may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know, see the knowledge, what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So you are appointed to bear fruit. Notice it's not that you are chosen and appointed for salvation. You are chosen and appointed to bear fruit. He planted you that you might bear fruit. He didn't plant you just to live for yourself. He wanted something from this to God's glory. So you should bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That word remain is abide, last, dwell. That, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. See how it's again connected to your prayer life. Your fruitfulness is to the Father's glory, but notice, you want, it's not only that you bear fruit, bear more fruit, bear much fruit, but you should bear fruit that lasts. Lasting fruit should be in your life. It is not a flash in the pan. It is not spurting up. It can endure tribulation and trials because it is well-rooted in Jesus Christ and in his word. It has been pruned and fashioned and, and been receptive to the work of the word of God through the power of God and the spirit of God. And now we are fruitful. And that fruitfulness lasts. Well, what kind of fruit lasts? We're not talking about lasting your lifetime. You know, we have people building structures and, and they want to have this, you know, and it's kind of pathetic, really, when they say, oh, I want something to outlast me. I want, I want something on the earth. And so they put their name on something so when they're gone, people remember them. But pretty soon they tear it down and, and we build monuments, but it just takes a few generations of priests and they're tearing down your thing and calling you a racist because even though you have statues to you across the country um, they tear that down and you're racist now they want to forget your name they want to expunge it from the record books um, and so those kinds of things just don't last when I say oh they outlast my name um, eh, eventually they're they're gonna go the way of all the earth so what is fruit that lasts not just lasts your lifetime but lasts forever eternally this is the fruit that we want to pursue, and that God wants to grow from us. He, and this is a phenomenal concept, um, that God chooses to employ us to produce fruit to his glory that is lasting and remaining. That it will abide, that it will endure the test of time, it will endure the test of his holy judgment, it will endure for all eternity. This is the kind of fruitfulness, this is the kind of ministry we want. And that when we communicate righteousness, that when we, that when we minister goodness, that when we speak the truth, that these things endure. They last. Trying to convince somebody of my political position, eh. That only lasts as long as our 
political society exists. Can you imagine going around the Roman Empire and trying to convince everybody of the Roman virtues? Or of how important it is to build all the infrastructure the Romans built? Well, where is it now? I know there are some relics of it. There are ruins of it. But it's in ruins! <laughs> it didn't really last. But the Roman people who received the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be forever in heaven with Paul. That's lasting fruit. Those crazy carnal Corinthians, they received his first letter repented. They had godly sorrow that led to repentance. They'll be in heaven. And Paul will enjoy their fellowship and they will be there to God's glory forever. This is the kind of fruitfulness we want. And as men call out to God when it's too late, God will say to them, you heard the truth. It was presented to you. And he will be glorified, for he will be righteous in judging them. Because they heard the truth from me. Maybe I was the only Christian they ever met, but they heard the truth from me. And so we do all of this to God's glory. There should be a fruitfulness that endures. And there should also be a fruitfulness in your spirit that endures, that lasts, that nothing taints. And if we want to have the end result, remember, we're going to have a, a vital, effectual prayer life, and then we're going to have joy, peace, and love. That's our, the pinnacle of the objection here, of the object here, is joy, peace, love. We've seen it repeated over and over again. We're going to focus on those when we get to them, a lot more. But our objective there is an active prayer life that we might have joy, peace, love. And so my fruitfulness is, is connected very clearly to my prayer life. Lord, I want ministry. I want more ministry. I want much ministry. I want ministry that lasts. This should be the defining elements of the Christian walk that we are pressing ourselves to that point and desiring after that, that we might have that true joy that no matter what circumstances affect me, I'm still pressing, I'm still pressing, I'm still pressing for further ministry. People hate me, I'm still pressing. My life gets hard, there's, there's problems of this world because, and there's stuff going on here that I'm still pressing on. I want to be fruitful. I want to be fruitful. There's nothing of this world that should deter that. And this is the kind of joy that endures. It comes from a fruitfulness that endures. I want to bring glory to God. I want that love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Oh, I got lost in it. Anyway, those nine... Self-control, I'll get the last one out there, okay? I, I, should, I would sing the song for you, but my, you don't want to hear that. Not today. <clears throat> we, 
We need, I want that in my life, but I want it to persevere in my life. No matter the circumstances around me, I want to be fruitful to God. And I want to share with you in closing that it is when there are adverse conditions and yet fruitfulness that is the strongest demonstration of how rooted you are in Jesus Christ. You are not growing in a hothouse, in a greenhouse, with perfect conditions and no bugs and no weeds and man-made soil that's sterilized. It's not where God's put you. He's put you in a horrible world with seemingly all the elements against you. You're going to have to demonstrate. How do I know when I got a really good seeds? Not when they can grow in the perfect environment, but when they can grow in adverse conditions, in poor soil, which is New Mexico. (laughs) They can endure missing a watering now and then. They can endure a bug, a mold. Now, do I send those things to them? No, I take measures to try to protect my plants from those to a degree, but it's, it's the reality of the environment and truly healthy, strong plants get through it and still produce a crop. And those kind of plants, boy, when they produce a crop, I don't just eat their crop, I keep their seeds because I want those plants. I want them. They are the ones God prunes that they might produce more fruit. And if we truly abide in him, we'll produce much fruit and our fruit will last. It will endure it will remain because we are abiding in him whom we have trusted with our salvation. Brethren, I want to challenge you to examine your life. Is there fruitfulness? God wants you to bear fruit. And then he wants you to bear more fruit. And then much fruit. and lasting fruit. Are you willing for God to prune your life with his word, by his spirit, so that you can see him glorified more and more in you? Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you again for your love for us. Thank you for this time and your word and this powerful presentation of the vine and the branches that you have given to us here in this passage. Lord, we see that you want really what we want. You want for us what we want for ourselves, really. But to your glory and to the Father's glory. And Lord, we pray that you might work in our midst, in our church's midst, that we might see a fruitfulness of ministry, that we might reach out, certainly to those who come through these doors, that we might reach out to them and extend to them Oh, so much more than just hospitality, but then we extend our, them ourselves. And all that we have that we might minister. And Lord, to those outside of these walls, Lord, we pray that we might be thoughtful in how we might approach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know that that involves some confrontation in the language that the world isn't accustomed to today and does not 
seem to want to hear, but yet we know it's necessary. Lord, help us to do so and to call them to repentance. Lord, that you might convict them of their sin and of your righteousness and the judgment to come. Lord, we do thank you for the vine that we can abide in him. We thank you for the vine dresser and the word by which he prunes us to cleanse us that we might serve you more. Lord, we want not to just be a fruitful vine. We want to be a, a very fruitful vine. Fruitful branch in you. Lord, we pray that we might produce fruit that lasts to your glory. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.